Welcome to the Trinity's Podcast, where we explore theories about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you love God enough to think about Him? Episode 245, Response to Branson, Part 3, Dueling Definitions. In this episode, I'm going to do three things. I'm going to review our dueling definitions. Then I'm going to discuss some criteria for how you judge the success of a conceptual definition. And I'll argue that Dr. Branson's definitions don't fare very well by these criteria. And in the third part, I will defend my definitions against his many charges, at least most of them. So let's first review the dueling definitions. In my paper and presentation and podcast called Tertullian the Unitarian, I say, quote, A Trinitarian Christian theology says that, one, there is one God, two, which or who in some sense contains or consists of three, quote, persons, namely, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three, who are equally divine, and four, one through three are eternally the case. So that's my definition of Trinitarian. I continue, In contrast, a Unitarian Christian theology asserts that, one, there is one God, two, who is numerically identical with the one Jesus called Father, three, and is not numerically identical with anyone else, and then four, one through three are eternally the case. How did I come up with those definitions? Well, I'd been studying dueling Trinitarian and Unitarian theologies for a long time at that point, and I was aggravated by the fact that a lot of historians and theologians waffle on how to describe the views of people like Tertullian. And so, you know, I just thought, hey, let's get precise here and let's be clear about what we mean by our terms. And it'll turn out that these early figures don't count as Trinitarians. The same things that would disqualify you later as being non-Trinitarian would clearly disqualify them. Moreover, the kinds of people that later count as Unitarians hold views very similar to people like Origen and Tertullian. And so why not call both of them Unitarian? So I've tried to put my finger on what I thought was the core or the central idea in each type of theology. So that's what I was doing. I don't think you can properly argue about the options until you have a good, broad understanding of the options. So each of my definitions has four requirements. Dr. Branson's definitions each have two requirements. And so this is from part one of his presentation. He says, quote, A Trinitarian theology says that, one, there are exactly three divine, quote, persons or individuals. Nevertheless, two, there is exactly one God. And he says, a Unitarian theology says that, one, there is exactly one divine person or individual, and two, there is exactly one God. Okay, so his definitions are simpler. What a Trinitarian theology has in common with a Unitarian one is that they each agree that there's only one God, and what they disagree on is simply the number of divine persons. If there's just one divine person, it must be Unitarian. If there are exactly three persons, then it must be Trinitarian. On the face of it, those look like really clear and simple definitions, but as I'll argue later in this episode, they're way too simple. Now, I think that for Dr. Branson, the crucial difference between these sets of definitions is where they put his type of Trinitarian theology, what he calls MT or monarchical Trinitarianism. Dr. Branson thinks that my definitions sort of outrageously misclassify his Trinity theory as Unitarian, whereas the virtue of his definitions is that they will, in his view, correctly classify monarchical Trinitarianism as a kind of Trinitarian theology. Okay, so let's talk about his other definitions here. A monarchical model of the Trinity is one which affirms what he calls the strong monarchy view. The strong monarchy view is the view that the one God just is the Father, that the one God and the Father are numerically identical. More generally, he defines the monarchy of the Father as a four-part claim. And the four parts are that the Father is the sole source or cause of the Son and Spirit, right? Those are the traditional generation and procession claims. 
The second is that the Father is also somehow the source of the divine nature itself. That I find baffling. I'm not sure how a divine being could be the source of his own divinity, but let's let that pass. Third, he says that the monarchy of the Father includes the claim that the Father is the union or the principle of unity within the Trinity, the Father rather than, say, the divine nature or the community of persons. So the Father is supposed to be what explains the unity of the Trinity. And then fourth, he says, strictly speaking, the Father just is identical to the one God. That last part, it sounds like he's defining the monarchy of the Father and the strong monarchy view as basically the same, because they both include the identity of the Father with the one God. Uh, Elsewhere in his presentation, I think he recognizes that some Trinitarians, such as Roman Catholics, will hold to, quote, the monarchy of the Father, and their idea is that somehow the unity of the triune God is explained by the Father or by the Father's action of giving divinity to the other two. So he recognizes that people who believe in a triune God also think of the Father as the source of the unity of the triune God. When he says the Trinity here, I would say he just means the triad, the threesome of beings, which is God and then these other two divine persons. That triad is unified because he thinks of the Father. He's the cause of their existence and the cause of their being divine. Okay, so he says that a monarchical model of the Trinity is any Trinity theory with a strong monarchy view. That is, it's a Trinity theory which affirms that the one God just is the Father, that those are numerically one. And he contrasts that with what he calls egalitarian or symmetrical models. He says these are models on which the persons in that triad have an equal claim to being called God in any sense. In other words, any quality or relation that would be relevant to whether that person can be called God in any sense is shared by the other two persons equally. Whatever basis there is for calling any of them God, the other two have that same basis. I have a couple of problems with these definitions. It looks like his definition of a monarchical model is too broad for what he has in mind. In other words, it would classify too many theories as monarchical theories. So if someone thinks that the Father just is God, and then they also add in that the Son just is God and the Holy Spirit just is God, they're identifying three different beings with God. Now that's, of course, incoherent because identity is symmetrical and transitive. Right? If the Father just is God and the Son just is God, it would follow that the Father just is the Son. But presumably this Trinitarian says, no, the Father, Son, and Spirit are different from one another. None of those are identical to each other, Father, Son, and Spirit. And yet each one of them is identical with the same thing. Now that's nonsense, but that is what some Trinitarians think. And by his definition as it stands, that would count as a monarchical model because it includes the strong monarchy view that the Father just is God, that the Father and God are numerically one. So, friendly amendment, I would suggest the Father just is God and no one else just is God. I think that's probably what he means. I assume he wouldn't want to count what I just said as a monarchical model. Right, and if you remember his narrative, the monarchical model is the view held by the good guys. That's the Eastern Orthodox. The symmetrical view is a foolish view that derives from Augustine and is held by Catholics and Protestants. And these views are supposed to be opposed to one another. You're not supposed to have something that could count as both. So why isn't a monarchical model egalitarian? I take it it's because here's a property relevant to being called God, being identical to the one God. And on the monarchical views, at least as I just amended them, only the father would have that property and the other two wouldn't. So they would thereby fail to be symmetrical or egalitarian. Now, I take it that for a monarchical model, there could still be some shared bases for being called God. So, I take it he wants to allow that all three of the persons are called God because each of them equally has the divine nature, right? The difference is not all bases for being called God are shared equally between the three. And so, that's what prevents his view from being egalitarian. When the Trinity's podcast returns... Criteria for judging the success of conceptual definitions.
Okay, so what's going on here? One point I need to emphasize is that Dr. Branson and I are not just defining words. We're trying to define concepts. We're trying to classify ideas, theological ideas. If it was just a dispute about word definitions, you would just go to the dictionary makers to settle the dispute. And you can't do that. It's really a dispute about classification, how different views should be sorted. And I actually think it's very important to understanding the field. In this segment, I'm going to discuss six rules for a good definition. I learned these six rules when I used to teach a course in critical thinking. They come from a book by David Kelly called The Art of Reasoning, which is a textbook that I think is in at least three editions now. And I found this to be a good topic-neutral way to think about defining concepts. Kelly says that a good definition should do three things for us. First, it should give us relatively precise boundaries for a concept. It should tell us what counts as a thing of that kind and what doesn't. Second, it should locate that concept within our classificatory scheme, some structure of genus and species, and it should put things at the right level of abstraction. And third, a good definition, he says, is the first step in summarizing our knowledge of what the concept refers to. So the six rules are as follows. I'm going to first state them quickly, just to run through them. I'm going to set two of them aside because I don't think they present any problems for Branson's definitions or for mine. And then I'm going to focus on the four that I think are problematic for Dr. Branson. So the six rules are, first, that a definition should state genus and species. Second, the definition should be neither too broad nor too narrow. Third, a definition should state the essential or fundamental or deep attributes of what the concept refers to. Fourth, a definition should not be circular. Fifth, a definition should avoid negative terms unless it is a negative concept that we are defining. And sixth, the definition should be understandable, that is to say, intelligible. Kelly says a definition should avoid vagueness, obscurity, and metaphor. The two I'm going to set aside are the fourth and fifth. The requirements that a definition should not be circular and that it should avoid negative terms unless it's a negative concept that we're defining. Right here, circular would be a Trinitarian theology, would be a theology of the Trinitarian sort, right? You're using the term in the definition. Dr. Branson's definitions don't have that kind of problem. And avoiding negative terms, you know, defining Trinitarian as a non-Unitarian or a Unitarian as a non-Trinitarian, well, that wouldn't be very helpful, would it? You've only said what they're not, not what they are. Okay, but he doesn't have any problems with those, and I don't think my definitions do either. So let's talk about the four that I think are problematic. So the genus for Dr. Branson is just theology, and he's dividing theologies into Trinitarian and into Unitarian. My genus is Christian theologies. He's trying to define a Trinitarian theology and a Unitarian theology in ways that are neutral as to whether or not they're Christian. I don't think this is right. I mean, both of these terms, as far as I know, come from the 1600s, and they were coined to describe dueling Christian theologies, the Catholic-slash-Protestant-slash-Orthodox type of theology started to be called a Trinitarian. I'm not exactly clear about how and when that occurred, but I do know that the term Unitarian was coined because non-Trinitarian Christians were tired of being pilloried as, quote, Socinians. Their opponents were following the ancient model of just tarring a type of theology with the name of one bad guy, one heresy arc, and then just bludgeoning everybody that comes along with a similar view as, oh, well, you're just a follower of that guy. We all know that guy's terrible. Right? So just like ancient 4th century Catholics would denounce one another as, quote, Arians, even when Arius didn't particularly have a lot to do with the person's theology. So in the 1600s in, say, England, someone would be denounced as a Socinian just because they thought the one God was the Father, whether or not Socinus really had much to do with that person holding that view. So they wanted a descriptive term for their view. Trinitarian thinks that God is three persons. Unitarian thinks that God is one person. It's a good descriptive term. These terms were coined by Christians in Christian theological disputes in order to be contrary types of Christian theology. So I think I've got things at the right level. So you got theologies, then you got Christian theologies below that, and then below that you have Unitarian theologies and Trinitarian theologies. 
I can see why you'd want to apply these terms more widely. So based on the primary usage for a certain type of Christian theology, I could see why you then turn around and take the term Unitarian and use it to mean just any theology on which the one God is a single self. And then you could call uh, Jewish and Islamic theologies Unitarian, as people sometimes do. Of course, you might think not only do they have a unipersonal view of God, you might also think that the person they think is identical to God is the same one that Jesus called Father. You might think, well, the Father, in Jesus' mouth, that refers to the God of the Jews. So yeah, the Jews think that the one God just is the Father. That's the same one that Jesus is talking about, right? And you might even think the same thing about Muslims. That's a whole different argument I'm not going to get into here. And if Trinitarian just means that there are three persons in God, then in principle there could be a Hindu Trinitarian theology or one from some tribe in New Guinea or Africa or something like that. I'm not really aware of any actually Trinitarian views in that sense outside of Christianity, but I think that we should agree that the primary usage of Trinitarian would be that the one God consists of three persons, not just any three persons, but the Father, Son, and Spirit. So I claim the primary use of this concept is within Christian realm. He's defining it just in general theology that would cut across religions. I think that's a mistake. This isn't a big criticism, but I think my approach is better motivated here. First, let's get clear about how the concept is employed in its original field of deployment. And then once we're clear about that, we can extend this term and use it in slightly different ways, in slightly looser ways. Okay, second requirement, definition should be neither too broad nor too narrow. A definition is too broad if it lets in too many things, right? So... If I define a religion as a system of practices that helps give meaning to people's lives, that's clearly too broad a definition of religion, because there are things which are not religions, such as book clubs, volunteer organizations, political movements that help give meaning to people's lives, but they are clearly not religions. Definition is too narrow if it excludes too much. If I tried to define a religion as a movement based around worshiping God or worshiping the one God, that would clearly be too narrow because you have things that are obviously religions and they're not based around worshiping the one God. They're based around worshiping a whole bunch of deities or they could be atheistic religions like Buddhism. Of course, religion is a notoriously difficult to define concept. I'm not going to settle that dispute here. One interesting point is that a definition can be at the same time too broad and too narrow. Think about a definition like a bouncer. He's supposed to only let the right people into the club. Well, he could let people into the club that shouldn't be there. And at the same time, if he's a really crummy bouncer, he could exclude people from coming in who should be there, right? So you can let in too many, and you can also exclude too many if you're a bouncer, and you can do the same thing if you're a definition. So if you define a domestic dog as a four-legged animal which can be trained to help humans, that excludes naughty dogs or immature dogs from being domestic dogs. And so that's wrong. It's too narrow. It's excluding too many from the concept of a domestic dog. At the same time, that definition of a domestic dog as a four-legged animal which can be trained to help humans, that would include elephants as domestic dogs. So that's just wrong. It's too wide. It's too narrow and it's too wide at the same time. Okay, so is Dr. Branson's definition of Trinitarian. He says that a Trinitarian theology is one in which there's one God and yet three divine persons. Notice he doesn't say fully or equally divine. Because he doesn't say that, his definition would allow in the ancient so-called Arians as being Trinitarians. Now, however you're going to define Trinitarian in a Christian context, it's always been supposed to exclude these naughty 4th century, quote, Arians. Those are the bad guys against which the Latter-day Nicenes were reacting, I think to have a successful definition, they have to be excluded. The way I think they should be excluded is that they think the three persons are not divine in the same way. They don't think the Son is fully divine. Fully divine would include being eternal and uh, even being independent, and the Son is neither eternal nor independent, but is dependent, and he came into existence a finite time ago. So he's not fully divine. 
Okay, so the definition lets in the ancient subordinationist Catholics we call Arians, and that's not correct. I would also point out that the definition lets in people like Justin and Tertullian and the early two-stage or three-stage Logos theorists as Trinitarians. These are people who think that originally there was just God, that is the Father, and then after a while he brought into existence the Son, and then maybe slightly later the Spirit. But those are divine persons in some sense, but not the same sense that the Father is divine. Neither of them is eternal. Neither of them is independent. Okay, it's going to count people like that as Trinitarians. I don't think that's correct. Same with Origen, even though he has eternal generation and procession. Still, he thinks that strictly the one God is just the Father. I think that because he has the Son and Spirit as lesser divine persons, that should disqualify him from being a Trinitarian. Anytime, going back to since about the early 400s or a little before, if you come along and say that the Son and Spirit aren't as divine as the Father, bam, you're not a Trinitarian. You're a heretic. You're an Arian or a subordinationist or whatever, but you're not, a, you're not supposed to be a Trinitarian. Branson should build that into his definition, but he doesn't. And in not doing that, it makes the definition of Trinitarian way too broad. It's also too broad in another way. And what's kind of strange is he admits this problem. So it says there are three divine persons and there's one God. Okay, but how does that one God relate to those three persons? That goes unsaid. And so as Branson admits, you could have the three divine persons over here, so to speak, and then over there, you've got the one God. And so then you're going to count some very strange views as Trinitarian that I would say are just obviously not Trinitarian at all. One scenario is this. Suppose you've got a, quote, God, an ultimate being, but it's not a personal being. Suppose it's being itself, or it's God where God is ineffable, something such that no human concept literally applies to it. You might believe in that type of God and also believe in three divine persons. Not of that ultimate, but just there are three divine persons. I mean, look, three divine persons, that seems compatible with just three deities, right? So you have these three deities. None of them are ultimate. Maybe they just popped into existence. Maybe they come from parent deities. Maybe they don't have the highest degree of reality. And then you've got this ultimate reality, which is not a God and not a person. And you'd count that as Trinitarian. It's not Trinitarian. It's not monotheistic. It's atheistic on my definition, which I think is correct. If you want to hear more about that, check out my paper called On Counting Gods. On Counting Gods is a published paper, which is free online, thanks to the journal called Theologica. And you can also check out my presenting this material in Trinity's podcast 164. So yeah, there are views, for instance, in Buddhism, where the ultimate reality is this ineffable something that's not a god. Oh yeah, but also you've got a number of deities, although they might be called Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. Right, so if, and this isn't the case to my knowledge, but if you had a kind of Buddhism with exactly three of these deities, or Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, divine persons, and yet the ultimate was this impersonal something, the Buddha nature, then that would count as Trinitarian. Come on, that's, that's not right. It's not Trinitarian. Trinitarian theology is supposed to be a kind of monotheistic theology. This isn't monotheistic. It's not theistic. It's atheistic. If you're talking about the sort of God that monotheists believe in, this scheme denies that there is such a being, and that's why it's atheistic. Now, it does allow for deities, and so it's not adeistic in my terminology. Anyway, I won't go more into that now. Would there be an easy fix for this? Maybe if you tweaked his second condition that there is exactly one God, if you specified that this God was a divine person, then that would rule out what I call ultimism, or an ultimistic, impersonal account of the ultimate reality. If you made clear that this one God is going to be identical to a divine person or individual, that would fix the problem that we're talking about now. Maybe that's a fix that Dr. Branson could incorporate. Still, to me, a view on which there are three divine persons and God is one of them, and yet there's no tripersonal God, to me that's just not Trinitarian. It's leaving out the key Trinitarian idea. Okay, but maybe that's question-begging in this context. 
Still, if he were to take my suggestion, he would immediately rule out a bunch of people who everybody else thinks are Trinitarians. So, for instance, William Lane Craig, in his reply to Daniel Howard Snyder's criticism of Craig's social trinity theory, Craig strongly denies that the triune God is a divine person. And there would be other Trinitarians that don't even have necessarily philosophically developed views like Craig. They're just going by the language. They'll say, we know we're supposed to say person of the three. We don't think we're supposed to say person of the triune God. So no, we deny that the triune God is a divine person. So it's, it's a damned if you do and damned if you don't kind of thing. The account is way too broad. If you try to fix it in the way I just said, if you actually try to build more of Branson's own views into the definition of Trinitarian, then it becomes too narrow. Is there a way out? I don't know. But you have to exclude people like my imaginary Mahayana Buddhists. And you have to include, it seems to me, people like Craig. My definition of Trinitarian does those things. That's another couple of things to commend my definition. When the Trinity's podcast returns, I discuss how Dr. Branson's definition of Trinitarian relates to a real but unfortunately incoherent Trinity theory. makes a couple of comments after giving his sparse two conditions for a Trinitarian theology, saying, so the persons can all be identical to the one God. Well, look, that hasn't been said. That would be an extra condition. Those two stated conditions don't require that it isn't the case that all of the persons are the one God. And in fact, I think that would be too narrow if you added that condition. Because as I mentioned before, there are some Trinitarians who think the Father just is God. Oh, and by the way, the Son just is God too, and the Holy Spirit just is God. Now, some of those may not realize that the three things I just said are inconsistent. If the Father, Son, and Spirit are different from one another, then they can't all be identical to the same thing, because they would then be identical to one another. Okay, so if he wants to say that the persons can't all be the one God... Well, to me, that's going to rule out what are clearly Trinitarian accounts. Never mind if they're any good. There are lots of accounts here that aren't any good at the end of the day. Now, what about his definition of Unitarian? Is that too broad or too narrow? He says the Unitarian theology says there is exactly one divine, quote, person or individual, and there is exactly one God. Yeah, but are these the same? <laughs> it's the same problem, right? If there's this impersonal God and also there's this divine person, um, then that's going to count as a Unitarian view. But what I just said is not a theistic view, not a monotheistic view. I mean, it's just not in the range of options. It's not in the ballpark of Unitarian theologies. The definition of Unitarian is too broad in another way, because it doesn't say that this one God is the Father. So it says there's one divine person and, the, and that there's one God. Yeah, but the thesis of Unitarian Christian theology is that there's one God who just is the Father. For all he said, it would be a Unitarian theology that just uh, the one God and the one divine person is Christ, or is the Holy Spirit, or is somebody completely different. Again, he admits this difficulty, but he just doesn't care to fix it. I mean, he shouldn't fix it if he's just trying to give a definition of a unipersonal uh, conception of God. But if we're talking about Christian Unitarian theology, you need to have the part there about the one God being the Father. And again, after he gives this, I think, too simple two-part definition of a Unitarian theology, he comments, he says, down below on his slide, presumably these will just be identical, at least, quote, numerically one. But again, we won't rule on that point in our definition. Well, you should rule on that point in your definition, because... You could have a, quote, God, and then a divine person, and they could be two different beings. 
but that's not in the ballpark of the kind of theologies we're talking about. Another problem I have with this definition of Unitarian is that it says there's one divine, quote, person or individual. I would say that a Unitarian does not need to use the controversial term person, particularly in quotations. Now, I had to put that into my definition because Trinitarians manifestly disagree about what these, quote, persons are supposed to be. But they do agree that there are supposed to be three, quote, persons. Person with quotation marks is hiding some pretty serious disagreements in the Trinitarian camp. In brief, some Trinitarians think that the persons are less than persons. They think they're like modes or personalities or manifestations or life streams or something, but not personal beings, not selves. Other Trinitarians think that the persons are beings. They are intelligent agents. They are what I would call selves. So I think it's better to leave Trinitarians to argue about the word person. And when you're defining a Unitarian theology or a Unitarian Christian theology, just talk about God being identical to a single self or talk about God being the proper referent of a personal pronoun when you're using it literally. So we're not talking about personification where you call your ship she or you call your trusty sword he. We're talking about literal use of personal pronouns which presuppose that the referent is a personal being. Now, is either definition too narrow? I don't think the Unitarian one is too narrow in addition to being too broad. There is maybe one way in which the definition of Trinitarian could be too narrow. There are clearly Trinitarians, who everybody thinks are Trinitarians, who don't like the term person and would rather replace it with mode of being and things like that, or people who clearly interpret person to mean like a personality. His first clause is that there are exactly three divine, quote, persons, end quote, or individuals. Wait a second. Can it be one or the other? I take it he means the or to be explicative, like it's explaining what a person is. If you take it in that way, then yeah, these Trinitarians don't agree that there are three individuals in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They think there's one individual there, God, if an individual is like basically a self or an intelligent being. If he's going to rule these out as Trinitarian, well, that's just wrong. These are famous people who think this. People, for instance, like Karl Barth or Brian Leftow. Kelly's third requirement is that a definition should state the essential or fundamental or deep attributes of what the concept refers to. So we don't want to sort things just by surface features. We want to try to sort them by deep explanatory features. And I think both of his definitions fail to do this. And what they do is they leave out what the kind of core idea is in each case. Now, maybe we just disagree about what the core idea is here, but to me, the core idea of a Trinitarian theology is the idea of a tripersonal God. And that, his definition leaves out entirely. It just mentions three divine persons. Oh, and by the way, there's also one God. Yeah, but the key idea is that that one God is those three persons together somehow. And the key idea of a Unitarian theology is, yes, there's supposed to be one divine person and one God, and they're supposed to be the same, I mean, he's got the count of divine person right, but he doesn't have it being the one God necessarily. And if you're talking about a Unitarian Christian theology, this one God and one divine person have to be the Father. So I think my definitions get right what are the deep or essential features of Trinitarian Christian theology and Unitarian Christian theology, and I don't think his definitions do. Now, of course, I would say there's more that's essential to the idea of a Trinitarian theology than the idea of a tripersonal God. I've just said that's kind of the central idea, but there's more to it than this. And again, Branson's comments, after he gives his over-short definitions, I think reveal a serious problem. After he gives a definition of Trinitarian theology, he says, presumably each one, that is, each divine person or individual, he says, presumably each one bears some important relation to the one God, or has a, quote, claim to being called, quote, God, but our definition won't settle how that works. Well, that's convenient. I mean, it's leaving the door too wide open, and I think it's leaving out a claim that any properly Trinitarian theology will insist on as essential and central, which is the claim that the three persons or individuals are equally divine. To me, it's obvious that that is essential to being a Trinitarian. 
if you believe in three divine persons and you don't think they're equally divine, basically all the Trinitarians will howl that you're a heretic and cast you out. Okay, so it has been essential since there have been Trinitarians, since about the Second Ecumenical Council in 381. Now, you could even go one step further and say, not only are the three supposed to be equally divine, but you have to say that the reason for this is because each one of them has the divine essence or nature. You could make a case that that, too, is essential to Trinitarianism. I wouldn't go quite that far, because I think you could be a Trinitarian and be a nominalist. A nominalist is somebody who doesn't believe in universal properties, such as shared essences. Um, but you could still think that Father, Son, and Spirit are divine, that they have the same metaphysical status. You just wouldn't explain that same metaphysical status by their having present within them one and the same universal essence. I would still count those people as Trinitarians. A more conservative person might say, no, no, you do have to believe in a shared divine essence, which is a universal. Okay, you could make that case, but either way, he's left out one or two conditions which are essential to a theology being Trinitarian. Okay, then conditions four and five, I don't think he has any problem with those. But the sixth one is that a definition should be understandable, which is to say intelligible, should avoid vagueness, obscurity, and metaphor. And I think that both of his definitions are not quite understandable enough. What, if anything, is supposed to be the relation between the one God and the divine persons, or the one divine person? The definitions just don't say enough. Another instance of vagueness is what I mentioned before. What does he mean when he says persons or individuals? I think he means persons, that is to say, individuals. But if it was just, quote, persons or individuals, what, could it just be a total of three of those? Like two persons and one individual? two so-called persons and one individual, or two individuals and one, quote, person. I don't think he means it that way. I think he means to be explaining the same idea. It's basically the idea of a self. Okay, but then this is something that should be cleared up. And again, if he means what I think he means, which is he's explicating, quote, persons as meaning individuals, as in intelligent beings, then it's too narrow. It rules out what I call oneself Trinitarians, which I'm inclined to think that that's probably a majority view among Trinitarian theologians, at least in the modern era. To sum up, he's not entirely happy with these analyses, the way he presents them, and he shouldn't be. They're just failed conceptual analyses or definitions until these problems, most of them, are fixed. But again, to me, their only virtue seems to be that they bestow the honored title Trinitarian on his sort of theology, and the definitions save his sort of theology from the dreaded label Unitarian. I could see why you'd want to claim the one word and disavow the other. There's a massive difference in coolness, but coolness and popularity are not supposed to be what drive a classification. We should be looking for accurate descriptions and labels that are as neutral as possible, and just trying to sort the field of things in an orderly and revealing way. I think my definitions do that, and I don't think his definitions do it really at all. He gets the count of divine persons right, but there's a lot that he doesn't get right in those analyses. When the Trinity's podcast returns, I answer Dr. Branson's objections to my definitions. So I define a Trinitarian theology as one that says that there's one God, which or who in some sense contains or consists of three, quote, persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who are equally divine, and all of those conditions are eternally the case. And in contrast, I say that a Unitarian Christian theology says there's one God who is numerically identical with the one Jesus calls Father and is not numerically identical with anyone else, and those conditions are eternally the case. Dr. Branson seems to me has a couple of queries about my definitions. He wonders why I have that condition and not anyone else. And he says, well, that must be to exclude relative identity Trinitarianism. Yes, 
that's one thing that it should exclude because relative identity Trinitarianism is a kind of Trinitarianism, so it shouldn't count as Unitarian. But the condition is also meant to exclude those people I mentioned before, which would be the inconsistent Trinitarians, who even while saying, or at least assuming, that Father, Son, and Spirit are different, go on to identify each of those three with God. And well, if they're trying to do that, they're just not trying to do what a Unitarian theology is doing, and they are trying to do what a Trinitarian theology is doing, so those are just Trinitarians with a bad theory. That also should exclude any kind of oneness theology or modalism that's going to collapse uh, the persons in that way. Here's an objection that Dr. Branson doesn't bring up. Uh, is my definition of Trinitarian too broad in that it includes oneness? It may or may not, depending on whether or not oneness will grant that there are three persons in the one God. If they don't like that language, then it would exclude oneness. If they do agree with that language, then it might include oneness. I think that's the right result, because really what oneness people are saying and what oneself Trinitarians are saying are extremely close. The condition that those three are eternally the case would rule out the kinds of modalists who think that first God is the Father, then he's the Son, then he's the Holy Spirit, so they have sequential modes. Well, nobody thinks that's Trinitarian. That's just been ruled out by definition from the beginning. And so my definition gets that right as well. Dr. Branson's main problem with my definition is that he thinks it's weird, like just idiosyncratic. Is it weird? Yes and no. It's not what some of his crowd goes for. And other people who are doing history of Christian theology and sorting the positions, I think they really kind of fudge and uh, cloud the waters up quite a bit when it comes to whether or not people like Tertullian or Justin or Origen are Trinitarians or not. They're like, yeah, well, they kind of are, they kind of aren't. Well, that's not a very good answer. I would say the same things that keep you from being a Trinitarian in the year 500 are going to keep you from being a Trinitarian in the year 200. About weirdness, I'm not the first Unitarian to point out that people like Tertullian and Origen are Unitarians. John Biddle did something similar in a pamphlet in the 1600s, and Alvin Lamson did the same in a book in the first half of the 1800s. Unitarians tend to notice people that are offering similar theories, and we notice that the main pre-Nicene fathers think that the one true God is just the Father. So we say they're Unitarians. Now, if you go on to add that there are, in some sense, two other divine persons, but yet these don't count as gods, well, we say you're still a Unitarian, and maybe your theory is plausible insofar as you can give a reason why the Father is a god and the other two are not additional gods, even though they're divine persons. Very late in his presentation, Dr. Branson says that he doesn't really care what his theology is called you know, all he cares about is it's being true and about staying faithful to Orthodox tradition. Well, you know, honestly, I think he does care a lot about what it's called, as do other Orthodox theologians who hold views like what Dr. Branson calls monarchical Trinitarianism. Again, the term Trinitarian is prestigious and is extremely uncool in most Christian theological circles to say that one is not a Trinitarian. Whatever the correct, faithful, small-c Catholic view turns out to be, he would like that to be called Trinitarian, right? That's what we call good guys in theology. It's a long-standing tradition. What I'm doing is different. I'm trying to find a helpful classification of Christian theologies which employs, as much as possible, descriptive and non-polemical terms. That's why I lay aside traditional categories like Arian or Sabellian, but why I retain terms like Trinitarian and Unitarian. I just want to divide up the field of Christian theologies in a natural, consistent, and revealing way that will help us to understand the similarities and differences between the views. I claim that my definitions help us to do these things. They are such a classification or part of one, even though it doesn't dish out the prestigious term Trinitarian as some would prefer. Dr. Branson complains Tuggy's definitions count all monarchical models as, quote, Unitarian, even if they include three fully and equally divine persons. Yes, but there's nothing paradoxical about that. There can be inconsistent Unitarians who also believe in fully divine persons, that is to say, gods, yet at the same time they insist that there is only one God, the Father. 
Just so, there can be inconsistent Trinitarians who think that the Father's God, the Son is God, and yet the Son is not the Father. Those are not consistent. So I think it's a virtue instead of a vice of my view that it allows people can fall into a category and not be self-consistent in their theology. Another objection he has is that I misapply my definitions. He says that I should count Tertullian as both a Trinitarian and a Unitarian. His idea is that Tertullian has one God who contains three persons. But no, the one God does not contain the three persons, that is the Father, Son, and Spirit. The one God just is the Father, and yet a smaller portion of his material substance constitutes the Son, and a yet smaller portion constitutes the Holy Spirit. This is the weird view that Tertullian has. So in a sense, the Father contains the Son and Holy Spirit, but it's just false that for Tertullian, the one God contains three persons, and it's false that for Tertullian, the one God contains the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So no, it's not a Trinitarian view. Another angle he has on this is he's using the modern idea that everything should count as a part of itself. So what we normally call parts, which is something less than the whole, you call that a proper part, and then everything also counts as an improper part of itself. And so he wants to say that the Holy Spirit and the Son are proper parts of God, but the Father will be an improper part of himself. So really there are three parts to the one God here, and doesn't that count as Trinitarian according to Tuggy's definition? Well, I'm not aware that Tertullian ever calls the Son and the Spirit parts of God. His point is that they share portions of the divine matter. I assume he wouldn't accept this idea that everything is a part of itself. So I don't think it should count as Trinitarian. Even if I'm wrong about all of that, Tertullian does not think that the Son and the Holy Spirit eternally exist. He thinks that God brought them into existence when it was time to create, like other Logos theorists before Origen. So his theology fails the eternality condition, and that's sufficient to not make it Trinitarian right there. And that's the correct answer. Look, if you just came up with your own Trinity theory today and said, well, I think that first there was only the Father, and then he brings the Son into existence, and then he brings the Holy Spirit into existence, everybody would dogpile you and say, well, you're not a Trinitarian, bro. You have to say that to Tertullian as well, even though in his time, he was considered a big and important defender of mainstream Catholic orthodoxy. Okay. His main objection is that my definition of a Christian Trinitarian theology just obviously misclassifies what he calls monarchical Trinitarianism as Unitarian, but it's obviously Trinitarian. My answer to that is there's nothing obvious about it. He seems to be reasoning like this. Monarchical Trinitarianism is the view of the Trinity held by the Cappadocian Fathers, and the true understanding of the Trinity, or the Triad, is what the Cappadocian Fathers held. And the true understanding of the Trinity or the triad should be called Trinitarian. So therefore, monarchical Trinitarianism should be called Trinitarian. This is not a convincing argument. For one thing, it's not true that monarchical Trinitarianism is the view held by the Cappadocian Fathers. I do think that something like that was held by Basil. I'm not sure about Gregory of Nyssa. I think it was not held by Gregory of Nazianzus, who has the idea of a tripersonal God, which is not consistent with the idea that the one God just is the Father. But how would a Christian even justify that the true understanding of the Trinity is whatever the Cappadocian Fathers held, or what two of the three held in any case? Why would anybody agree with that? Why shouldn't it be what Augustine held, or what Origen held, or what the, the councils held? And why should it be that the correct understanding of the Trinity or the Triad should be called Trinitarian? I think that what I believe is the correct understanding of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I don't think it should be called Trinitarian, because I think that would be confusing and misleading. So yeah, it's not really much as an argument. Just the fact that Dr. Branson finds my classification weird is not enough to outweigh the observation that the core of any Trinitarian theology is this idea of a tripersonal God, that is to say, one God in three persons. Let's see, I think at one point he argues that my definitions will make his monarchical Trinitarian count both as Trinitarian and Unitarian. Well, it will make it count as Unitarian because it identifies the one God with the Father. 
And even though it's not in the definition of Trinitarian theology, I think that his own full view is that the one God just is the Father. He would deny that the one God just is the Son or that the one God just is the Spirit. So, yes, that is sufficient to make it a Unitarian view right there. You can go on and say stuff about generation and procession and one getting divinity from the other and the Father being the unity of the triad and so on. That's all consistent with a Unitarian theology. Would it make them a Trinitarian theology? No. The view can't be Trinitarian because he doesn't say and would deny that the one God contains or consists of three persons. Now, he gets way off into the weeds philosophically and metaphysically in trying to argue that my view doesn't necessarily, or just by the logic of the definitions, make Trinitarian and Unitarian to be mutually exclusive categories so that nothing can count as both. This argument really gets far out, in my opinion. What's important to me is to be able to correctly sort the actual views that are out there. What Dr. Branson does is he concocts some views which no one actually holds, neither himself nor anybody else. And he says, aha, this would count both as Trinitarian and Unitarian on Tuggy's definitions. Well, the problem is that these views look like they're um, views that couldn't possibly be true. They sound like necessary falsehoods. So... Instead of coming up with some social Trinitarian whose theory would be classified as both Trinitarian and Unitarian, he comes up with what he calls a toy social Trinitarian view on which God is a set of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Well, isn't that obviously metaphysically impossible that God could be a set? I mean, who cares if this would satisfy both of my definitions? It's not a view like anybody would hold. And it's not a view that could be possibly true. So, Branson says, any model that, one, identifies the Father and the one God, and, two, interprets Tuggies in some sense contains or consists of as some relation that is not irreflexive, in other words, a thing can contain itself, and posits that relation between the one God and the three persons, will count as both Trinitarian and Unitarian on Tuggies' definitions. And, he says, need not be logically inconsistent except for unrelated reasons. Look, if you're trying to sort theories of government into different categories, uh, you don't want to have something count both as capitalist and communist. But you could still have some crazy person who had a very convoluted political theory that uh, met all the requirements for both of them. But that's not really much of a problem, is it? As long as you can sort the actual views correctly. I think he thinks that I have to make the concepts of Trinitarian and Unitarian to be logical contraries, so claims that can't both be true just because of the logical structure of those claims. I think that's why he thinks theories are relevant that both he and I would agree are necessarily false and which no one actually holds. But I don't think I have to do something that strong. All I care about is that in practice, applying my definitions to actual views, that we get a mutually exclusive categorization of the views so that no actual Trinity theory will go into both categories. So we can say, if a theory is Trinitarian, it's not Unitarian, and if it's Unitarian, it's not Trinitarian. Again, Dr. Branson goes on at some length suggesting some amendments that he thinks would maybe conceivably start to help my theory, but they're not amendments that I am friendly to at all. He says, we could make Tuggy's definitions out to be logical contraries by adding that Unitarians must deny that God contains divine persons. No, I don't want to do that. I mean, I don't know what contains could possibly mean here, but some Unitarians might think that the Father in some sense contains the Holy Spirit and in some sense contains the Son. I don't know if that would be the same sense, but I don't see why that should be ruled out. So that's not a price I would want to pay. Or he says, why not add that Trinitarians must deny that the one God just is the Father, that the God and the Father are numerically identical? Well, that's just wrong. That would make the definition too narrow because there are Trinitarians who want to say exactly that and who do say that. In fact, it's very common for them to say that because that assumption is clearly in the New Testament. So look at all the theories that I have in my entry in the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy 
where the theory is discussed by Harriet Baber and her Trinity entry in the Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy, or the theories discussed by Daniel Howard Snyder in his entry called Trinity in the Routledge Encyclopedia of Philosophy. I think all of those Trinity theories get correctly classified as Trinitarian by my definitions. They seem to get it pretty much right as far as the theories that are prominent in the analytic literature. If it doesn't count Branson's theory as Trinitarian, well, it's, I think just accurate. There's no idea of a triune God there. And on the other hand, he meets the criteria which are required for being Unitarian. As I've already explained, his definition of Trinitarian is going to exclude some of those oneself Trinitarians from counting as Trinitarian at all, and that's not right. Also, you could have views where people believe in an impersonal God and yet believe in three divine persons, right? Because he doesn't require that the three persons are the one God in any sense. It just requires that there are those things, three persons and one God. And as far as Unitarians, I mean, my view is going to classify correctly people like Socinus or Joseph Priestley. I don't think Dr. Branson would argue that my definitions would misclassify people like that. But he doesn't want it to rope in people like Samuel Clark or Origen or Justin Martyr or Tertullian because his theory, which he thinks is right and which he does not want to be called Unitarian, is substantially like theirs. And so if it's going to count them as Unitarian, it's going to count his too. And he can't have that. So in conclusion, something that he emphasizes a lot in discussing my definitions is just that he thinks they're constructed ad hoc, you know, just to get the result that I want. I want to harvest in the early Christian theologies as counting as Unitarian and steal them from the Trinitarians. And because I want to divide things up this way, I come up with these crazy definitions, the like of which has never been heard of before. Well, the like of them has been heard of before. I gave two previous examples. Honestly, yes, I do like the fact that my definitions make people like Justin, Origen, Tertullian, Irenaeus into Unitarians. I do think that Christianity pre-about 381 was dominantly Unitarian, like the New Testament. But really, my aims go way beyond just sort of defending my own theology. I really am trying to just sort the different Christian theologies that I see in the history of Christianity. And you don't do that by party passions. You want to divide things naturally and in a revealing way. And I think that my scheme does that by pinpointing the key or the core theses of each view. For Unitarians, it's the one God just as the Father. For Trinitarian theologies, it's the idea that the one God is tripersonal. My definitions, I think, have a lot more to recommend them than it turns out to be polemically convenient for Tuggy, the biblical Unitarian. Branson's views, though, it seems to me that their main selling point for some people is that they would make what he calls monarchical Trinitarianism count as a kind of Trinitarianism. And I think we all understand that there's value in being able to claim that label Trinitarian. Dr. Branson wants to, and I think really as an Eastern Orthodox Christian, needs to remain in the Trinity Club. And so despite the disparity between his theology and that of most Trinitarians, he really needs to retain that label for practical reasons. For better or worse, I left the Trinity Club a long time ago. And so I don't have to try to argue, like, for instance, Samuel Clark did, that my view is, quote, the scripture doctrine of the Trinity, which would give people the impression that it's a Trinitarian theology. Of course, my theology isn't. It's biblical Unitarian. So my main point is that the value of my definitions is that they divide up the field naturally and in a helpful and revealing way. The proof is in the pudding in that sense. Either they can do the work I claim they can do or they can't. There is one more desideratum, though, for a definition that Kelly doesn't discuss, and I think it's relevant here. The terms that we're disputing over, Trinitarian and Unitarian, were not just made up by Branson or I. These are terms that already have a usage, and it's a fairly orderly usage. 
it's not nearly as clear-cut as a lot of people think. But in arguing for our dueling classifications, we're also arguing that for scholarly and theoretical purposes, these terms should be precisified according to our classification. So yes, I really do think we should stop calling Basil of Caesarea a Trinitarian, and I really do think that we should stop calling Origen a Trinitarian. Neither of them are. Also, I don't think that what Dr. Branson calls monarchical Trinitarianism should be given the name Trinitarian. In any case, when you're doing this, when you're taking a pre-existing term that has some decently clear established usages, and you're going to come along and precisify it according to a classificatory scheme, you want to minimize the damage. You don't want to veer too much away from ordinary usage if you can help it. Here, I think my definitions have a considerable advantage over the definitions of Dr. Branson. I claim that most theologians who call themselves Trinitarian think that essential to their theology is that God is tripersonal. I think almost all of those people would disqualify, quote, Arians from being Trinitarians, or ultimists who believe in three deities from being Trinitarians. In completely leaving out the idea of a tripersonal God, as well as the idea of equally divine persons, and also by interpreting the term person as being an individual, like an individual substance or entity, I think Branson is veering hard away from ordinary usage of the term. Ordinary usage of the term includes what I call oneself Trinitarians, and they would be disqualified by the condition in his definition that a Trinitarian believes in three divine persons, that is, three divine individuals. Now, my usage is revisionary as well, although the term Unitarian, for purposes of Christian theology, has largely been trashed, so I'm kind of trying to start over, in a sense. Insofar as Unitarian means Unitarian Universalist, yeah, I just think that's unfortunate. I'm trying to reboot the use of Unitarian for a Christian theology. Some would say that Unitarian uh, has to go hand-in-hand with, quote, a low Christology or Christology on which there's no pre-existence and or which holds that the Holy Spirit is not a divine person. Yeah, I don't see why. There's precedent for a wider use of Unitarian, so that includes people like Noah Wooster or Samuel Clark or Origen. There's plenty of precedent for that in scholarship relating to the history of theology, so I don't think that's too revisionary. You might try to define Unitarian as anti-Trinitarian, and of course there weren't any anti-Trinitarians before there were Trinitarians. So before about 381, around about that time, there weren't anti-Trinitarians. There was no idea of a triune God that was popular. So yeah, you don't have people reacting against it and rejecting it. Yeah, but I'm just using the term Unitarian as a positive, descriptive term for one's theology, where the one God is the Father, like you see in the New Testament. So both of our usages are revisionary. I think my definitions are a lot more conservative than his, and therefore it would be a lot less confusing for people to adopt my usage than for people to adopt Dr. Branson's. And that, I think, is just a practical point in favor of my definitions. Next week, in my final installment replying to Dr. Branson's lengthy presentation, I will talk more about the virtues of what he calls MT or monarchical Trinitarianism and consider that more as theology and say a little bit more about what I think about it. I've fussed about the definitions here. We'll talk more about substantial theological points next time. This week's thinking music has been the track Rescue Me, instrumental by Tobias Weber, also known as Ausens at Eater. As always, there's a link on the blog post for this episode where you can listen to or download that entire track.
for listening. We'll see you online at trinities.org. Till next time, don't forget to love God with all your mind.